Hey, what up? Hello, everybody. Alex Kapitko here, centered from Reality Podcast. Apologies if my voice sounds a little hoarse. Got done with a long run today, and I don't know, the cool cool air got me a little phlegmy or something. Who knows? But anyways, it is December 24th. It is Sunday. It is Christmas Eve. It is Sunday, but it feels like a Saturday just because don't have work tomorrow, which is I'm not going to complain about by any means. And anyways, I hope everyone is enjoying the holidays. If you don't celebrate Christmas, well, hopefully you're still enjoying uh, your weekend. And, you know, I'm not a super, super big celebrator, but I do enjoy the holidays and enjoy Christmas. And I'm going to have a pretty mellow night with some family tonight, eat, have some drinks, be merry. Christmas tomorrow is actually going to be a pretty big Christmas party in the evening. So today a little more mellow, tomorrow a little bit busier. But anyways... It's been a pretty good day. Packers barely beat uh, the Carolina Panthers, one of the worst teams in the NFL. The Chicago Bears are doing better than expected. Tomorrow we'll have to see how the Niners do. Packers are breaking my heart slowly here again. But and I am just sick of this every year they are outside of the playoffs. Or at least the last couple years they've been outside of the playoffs, in the hunt, and it always comes down to the last game or two. It was about a year ago I was in Wisconsin uh, with my buddy for the Packers-Vikings game. They won that and then got embarrassed by the Lions next week. Anyway, this is not a sports podcast, but I just had to rant a little bit. Packers are playing with my heart again. It's like they beat the Lions, they beat the Chiefs, and then get decimated by the Giants and then the Buccaneers. So yeah, I just don't even know what to think anymore. But anyways... I want to, I'm not going to get into a whole lot of news today. I wanted to go over Mediaite's 75 most influential people in news. Um, I, I don't agree with a lot of it, but I thought, it, I thought it's a good piece that highlights kind of what's wrong with the mainstream media, with the mainstream media and how it looks at influential people. Because there's a lot of people not on this list that probably have more listeners and viewers than Mediaite has in total. So anyways, we'll get into that. But And also I kind of want to talk about a, a good Arthur Brooks article in uh, The Atlantic about the holidays and how through all the busyness it's important to kind of be meditative as well. Take, take some space. Enjoy some silence. And it, it, kind of encom- it kind of encompasses a lot of things that I've been thinking about. So I want to talk about that as well. But first, I should just note that it looks like more states might be considering this whole Donald Trump being barred from the ballot decision that happened in Colorado. And I'll do an episode next week in more detail, but it looks like states like Michigan potentially. Obviously, Colorado, I think I think I was reading, yeah, it, it, a, a Republican has not won, a presidential candidate in Colorado has not won on the Republican side since 2004. So it used to be a purple state, but Democrats have done pretty well in presidential elections for quite some time <clears throat> in Colorado. So this one's not as important, but states like Michigan, that could be interesting. States like Pennsylvania, if they tried to do this, that could also be interesting. And I've, I've just been really thinking about this. And once again, I, I just vehemently feel that Donald Trump, he was voted in by the people and just barring him from the ballot it's not going to make him just go away. It's not just going to be like pointing a magic wand and saying, all right, Trump is gone. We can move on. It's like, no, that energy, that vitriol, that America first MAGA red meat rage, it's not going to go away if Trump's off the ballot. And I would argue it's just going to lead to more anger and chaos. And you're just going to see even more division in the country because you're going to see that, that massive Trump base 
start to be like, see, the state is trying to make sure we can't vote for our guy. Why don't we take up arms? Why don't we be more violent again? I mean, that's how you get another January 6th, in my opinion. But I can hold two things in my head at the same time. And then I also go, well, what if other courts, what if there is a ripple effect and other state Supreme Courts decide the same thing? You can't not do what's legally correct just because you're afraid of violence, right? You can't say, well, no, we're not going to have this court decision stand because we're worried that Trump supporters will be violent. Like, you can't do that either. So it's a really tough one. But again, it was William Galston of the Brookings Institution who for years has said Trump is a political problem and you can't just hope to use the courts to get rid of him. And I think that is that is my stance on this. And now I, I think you're also going to see both sides. Like, I mean, we're just in for a chaotic, chaotic 2024 election because, you know, then you then you had Dan Patrick, the lieutenant governor down in Texas, saying that they should take Biden off Texas's ballot. That gets us to a pretty problematic society where you have red states saying they're going to take the Democrat off their ballot and you have blue states trying to challenge that as well. I think I think if you, for example, had the Supreme Court now decide on this and all nine of them say Trump, yeah, this is correct, Trump is barred, that's different. But when you have like this Colorado decision 4-3, it shows me how divisive this is and how... A lot of people were really torn on this. And say the Supreme Court, even if they did say this this holds up and Trump can be barred from the ballot, if it's like a 5-4 decision, I think that sums up how divided the country would be over this and definitely not in a good way by any means. And so I think we just had – basically, I mean, if you want to be cup half empty, which I guess I kind of have been lately – 2016 was the time to just not let the madman get into power and get into our democratic institutions. But now that he's there, you can't just feed into the right-wing narrative that this is a banana republic. This is not a banana republic. I mean, some of the things Trump says about Putin and stuff makes makes me think he would be fine with being in a banana republic as long as he's in power. But I just see this really backfiring. Unless, again, unless the Supreme Court comes down on this 7-2 or... I don't know, 8-1 or, I mean, God, even like 6-3 or something where there's a clear majority. But if it's if it's like 5-4, I'm not going to feel too comfortable about that. And I think that could just make the country susceptible to more chaos. And I definitely do not agree with some conservatives who say the 14th Amendment, Article 3 of it, that it applies to officers, civil servants, government officials, but not the president. I I just can't believe that that would hold up because while Trump is not technically like a bureaucrat or a civil servant, he is a government, he's the leader of the government, and I think that should apply to him. So this is going to be really interesting. I do wonder if there's going to be basically a snowballing effect here of more states trying to do this, and this is not going to cool down the temperature right now. That is the one thing that I am very certain of, no doubt. Okay, so moving on, this mediaite. Uh, 75 most influential in news media for 2023. I'm obviously not going to go through all of them because there's 75 and I'm not going to make this show super long. But number 75 is one that kind of fascinates me, Brian Stelter, because I'm not one of the people that really despises him and just thinks he's too focused on Fox News and and just thinks that he was kind of a CNN wacky, basically, which he kind of was in a sense. But his show was canceled, which, which was Reliable Sources on CNN. It was canceled. 
He left the network, and now he's working for Vanity Fair. Michael Moynihan of the Fifth Column, I think, said it best when he said, it's kind of hard for someone to be, basically for someone to be in the most influential people when your show doesn't do well enough to be kept on the air. And I would kind of agree with that. Like, I don't think Brian Stelter is wrong at all when he talks about, when he talks about, say, like Fox News or the, you know, Fox News promotion of 2020 election conspiracy theories, all of that stuff. But, but the guy, he, he was so focused on the right that sometimes he didn't understand CNN's bias as well, which I, do, I, I don't think CNN's perfect either. And this guy kind of seemed like the talking head for CNN great, Fox News bad, and his credibility just seemed lacking to me. So I, I, don't, I wouldn't have put him on the list. <laughs> Number 72 is another fun one, Eric Bowling, former Fox News host who's on Newsmax, and he's just a, he's not the brightest guy. Newsmax isn't bringing over their best and brightest. Some of them might be good, but I'm also assuming they're not bringing their best. And he has a show called The Balance, which is projection at its finest. And yeah, he's become a Republican Party right winger. I I remember watching some clips of him do an interview recently with, not Sean Hannity, with Bill O'Reilly, sorry. And they are very different people now. And it shows bowling shift, I think, where... Bill O'Reilly was talking about how Trump just isn't a Republican and the party needs to move on. And basically everything that most Republicans stand for has changed under Trump. And Bowling doesn't seem to really get it, but he just puts out talking points about it. And then he calls Bill O'Reilly a rhino. And I just don't think Eric Bowling, no offense to him, he might be a nice guy, but I don't think he's that smart. He kind of has the Jesse Waters effect where his show gets ratings because he tells the audience exactly what they want to hear. And that's not good journalism. He just regurgitates talking points, puts them out there, and then calls anyone who disagrees with him either rhinos or communists. And the show is just not very high quality. But it is, it's, but it is Newsmax's highest rated show. And I guess, I guess to put some numbers on that, he did beat CNN's Anderson Cooper in ratings as well. And he has hosted, you know, Vivek and DeSantis and Haley and Chris Christie and all of that. So here we are. Patrick Bet David, I found interesting at number 70. I I enjoy watching his show. I will be completely honest about that. It's kind of a Joe Rogan-esque type of show, but he's definitely he, he's more of an entrepreneur, tech bro, Florida. His his podcast, I think, is recorded out of Miami. He's he definitely gives me that like that immigrant, like the child of immigrants successful entrepreneur, Florida tech bro type of vibes. And he's definitely right wing. But the show has had some interesting conversations. Like in one example, he actually coaxed Chris Cuomo into declaring that he's open to supporting Trump in the 2024 election. He quizzed DeSantis about his height. Um, he got Ann Coulter to kind of turn on Trump where she said Trump knows about 50 words. And I found I, I find it interesting to watch. I think his talking points are very uninformed sometimes and it sounds like he's just defending kind of the he's a DeSantis guy by the way but this is one of the ones I do agree with anyways we also have people like Cenk Uger who I I actually do kind of enjoy some of his analysis I don't really have time to keep talking about him as much but moving on to the next one we have Aaron Burnett 65 okay you know you have, I mean, kind of in the 50s and 60s you have the Martha McCallans on Fox, Wolf Blitzer, Peter Ducey Manu Raju at number 57, the White House correspondent for CNN. I actually like him. He's he's done a good job about talking with people in Congress. And he's had one-on-ones with George Santos and Kevin McCarthy. 
And he seems to be respected enough by some of these people that you actually have, like Kevin McCarthy and him, able to joke and kind of talk, which I think is a good thing. Um, yeah, you have Dana Bash, 55, Chris Cuomo, 54, who went from, which his shift, I, I can't stand Chris Cuomo. I'm just going to go out there and say that. This is a guy who was sounding the alarm about Trump on CNN for years and was one of the biggest anti-Trumpers and you know, was into getting ratings. Then he violated kind of journalistic ethics, working with his brother behind the scenes and doing fair coverage of him, joking with his brother during COVID when people were dying in New York, etc., and then he's, he's on News Nation, which is, as I've talked about in previous episodes, it says it's a centrist news network, but a lot of the money is from f- former Fox News donors. It also has a lot of former Fox News, excuse me, uh, people on the leadership side. So, and, and then he's also said that he thinks Biden is no worse than Trump. Or no, sorry, <laughs> he thinks that Trump is no worse than Biden. And he's entertained the idea that they, it doesn't really matter if Trump wins. I just don't think that's true. And it's, it's sad to see his just total fall. And it tells me he's not as deep of a thinker as I thought. Let's see. Moving down this list a little bit. Lawrence O'Donnell, 51. I don't watch his show anymore. Jeffrey Goldberg, I like. He's the editor-in-chief at The Atlantic. He is uh, number 50. Chris Hayes, Jim Acosta. I mean, Laura Ingram at 47. I can't stand her, but she is influential, I guess you could say. And then, you know, you move down the list a little bit. It's it's literally the 30s is dominated by the Rachel Maddows, the View ladies, pretty much just all mainstream media, and it kind of drives me crazy. Yeah, Anderson Cooper, Steve Bannon at 28, I find interesting. I mean, that one I agree with. As you guys know, I can't stand Steve Bannon, but he is huge on the far right. He is a key figure, and all you have to do is just go on Apple Podcasts and look at the number of ratings. It's kind of insane. Kind of insane, but but this guy is the emotional center of the new right, and yeah, that's true. Tucker Carlson, twenty six. Obviously, I think that's true. Joe Rogan at twenty four. Greg Gutfeld at twenty three. I don't know about that. I think Joe Rogan's more influential than Greg Gutfeld. I mean, I think Joe Rogan could be top ten probably. I mean, I've stopped listening to his podcast unless there's someone I really like on it, just because. He's, he's definitely transformed over the last few years. Pat McAfee at 22. I like that one. I'm a big Pat McAfee fan, former punter. You know, he, he had a YouTube show and a podcast, and it did so well that ESPN paid him, and they bought the show, and they brought him on to, CN, or to ESPN, showing the weight and power of his podcast. Let's see, going further down, Piers Morgan at 20. I do think, I do think Piers Morgan's big. He's on that talk TV or whatever from the UK and it has grown a lot, and he's done a lot of interviews, and I think he's been pretty fair, and he's challenged the Kerry Lake types and the Andrew Tates, and I find some of his interviews interesting. He's had on Norm Finkelstein, and, and there's just been, you know, from Ben Shapiro's too, I mean, he just has some interesting people on. Um, getting into now the top 20 of, like, Ben Shapiro and Jeremy Boring, who's, who created the Daily Wire, you can't really deny that. Let's see, going further down, and now into the 15s. Let's see, are there any? Jesse Waters at 14. I don't think Jesse Waters is more influential than Tucker Carlson. He just got the primetime spot. Tucker Carlson, say what you want about him, much smarter than Jesse Waters, I hate to say it. 13, Maggie Haberman and Jonathan Swan, maybe. Brett Bayer at 12, I don't, I don't know about that. Let's see, Elon Musk at 10, probably true. <laughs> oh, Elon. Um, Stephen A. Smith at 8, I guess. Jake Tapper, seven. Bill Maher at six. 
Last year, I guess he was 32 on this. Club Random has obviously blown up. He does that every week now. He has 3 million subscribers on YouTube. He's all over the place with his views. He kind of, you know, toggles the center left and the center right. Um, hasn't really changed much on Trump. That's interesting. I didn't think he would be that high. You have Matt Drudge of the Drudge Report, which is interesting. Megan Kelly, number four. <sighs> Joe Scarborough, Micah Brzezinski, and Willie Geist. <sighs> See, they, I, I, I can't stand those three because they make never-Trumpers like me just feel like an idiot because these are the three. I mean, it was it was Joe Scarborough who said that Trump could be worse than Hitler. These are the people that talk about Trump all day. They wake up and talk about Trump. They go to bed thinking about Trump. They have a show where all they talk about is Trump. And it, and it makes people like me, and, and, and I'm not trying to sell myself too high, but the people actually worrying about the Schedule F stuff and Project 2025 and how Trump does want to do right to, hi, or right to work processes in the government, like it makes us actually worrying about the logistical stuff Trump wants to do. It makes us look like fools. And I, I really do not respect that whatsoever. And I, I just think that they've kind of lost their way. Joe Scarborough, Micah Brzezinski, Willie Geist. Number two, Sean Hannity. Maybe, I guess maybe. Number one, Dominion Voting Systems. This one's interesting, but I guess they did sue and brought all this light on the inner workings of Fox News. So interesting to me. But I guess generally speaking, like where Crystal, Crystal Ball and Sagar and Jetty of breaking points, they're very influential. The Kyle Kalinskis, I think the bulwark has been interesting, kind of expanding to a network of center left and center right. Their audience has been growing a lot. I mean, Crystal Ball and Sagar and Jetty, they're, they're, they're able to create their own show, Breaking Points. They can leave the hill and do better on their own. A lot of influence. I don't agree with them. Sometimes I want to rip my hair out when I hear their foreign policy stuff, but I, I got to give them credit where it's due. And I guess my thing here is a lot of the people on this list are the mainstream media. And a lot of people that aren't on this list are people like the Breaking Points crew who get, who get more views and listens than some of these people listed on here. And... I just don't know if some of these hosts like Micah Przinsky and Joe Scarborough, The View, are these the most influential people in the news when you're actually seeing like, like the Joe Rogans and the Breaking Points and the Bulwarks actually growing? I, I just don't know. I feel like this just feels like very pro-establishment. Well, it seems like people are breaking away from the establishment. And of course, I, I still watch CNN and Fox and MSNBC and I read The Economist and The Atlantic. So I'm still part of the establishment in terms of getting information, but I'm not going to watch, not going to watch Rachel Maddow or The View and, you know, expect to learn from them because it's entertainment at the end of the day. It's popcorn. Moving on, before we're out of here, I did just want to briefly talk about the holidays and a really good piece I read in The Atlantic from Arthur C. Brooks. This is a guy that was a conservative economist, and, and just public policy guy working for the American Enterprise Institute, which I would say is arguably one of the only remaining right-wing, center-right, more center-right think tanks that I don't think has just become just infected by MAGA. The AEI looks so much better than Heritage at this point. And, you know, there was a time in college, I mean, in grad school when I was in Chicago, I was applying to the AEI because I'm like, you know, I actually like a lot of the pieces they do. It's kind of a centrist organization, and they have a lot of really good public policy labs. It would be interesting. And this is when I'd left um, the Africa Center for Strategic Prog Progress that I was writing some papers for at the time. And I was like, you know, I kind of want to get into the like domestic policy side, and I think the AEI does some good stuff. Anyways, Arthur C. Brooks is now an author that looks at happiness, but he also served as 
the Parker Gilbert Montgomery Professor of Practice at the Nonprofit Leadership at the Harvard Kennedy School of Business, and like I said, worked for AEI. But now he talks about from strength to strength, love your enemies, how to build a better life. Like he's really focusing on happiness and not just self-help happiness, but kind of why a lot of people do what they do. And so I recommend listening to him when I was in Chicago and I still do on some runs. I'll listen to him on podcasts because I like his no nonsense approach to happiness and excess and overindulgence and pleasure. And I just think he has some good stuff to say. So you should definitely check him out. So anyways, even before I read this piece, I've been thinking about how, you know, from Thanksgiving to pretty much January 1st, the holidays is, it's great. It's fun. But it's also just a time of excess and pleasure and overindulgence and overstimulation and exhaustion. I mean, how many Christmas parties can you have? How much can you eat? How many people can you talk to? How many Christmas songs can you listen to? And I, I, I help out at a ski center once or twice a week because I, I love to Nordic ski. And so I, I go there a few days a week. And when you're there all day and you hear Christmas music and you, you kind of just get just like exhausted from it. But also, I think our view of the holidays is just get drunk, eat a lot of sugary rich foods, don't adhere to your normal health routine. Oh, they brought in cookies at work. I'm going to eat those all day. Oh, I got to go to the Christmas party. Oh, I, I, I'm not going to work out. I'm going to get back into my routine in January. And I've been, I don't know, this last month I've been, I've been going to Christmas parties. I've been eating and, and having my drinks, but also I've been taking a lot of time to myself. I've been just really enjoying being alone and kind of processing what this time of year means. And so even before I, I read this article, I've been trying to find this balance, you know, long runs and Nordic skis and just walks by myself, making some music, doing this podcast. Even if it's watching a show at night, sometimes just I've liked the solitude and the meditation of life a little bit. And basically that's what Arthur Brooks talks about here. Um, he writes, researchers have long affirmed that many people love the abundance bordering on excess of the holidays. One study from 2007 found that the most common groupings of Christmas holiday feelings related to bon homie, gay abandon, ritualism, and love of shopping. He also writes, though, later in the article, in quotes, but the researchers found one other common holiday feeling, dejection. That included annoyance, disappointment, sadness, irritation, and boredom. If that describes your state, or if you're simply uncomfortable with the season's overindulgence, you might feel like a Scrooge. But then he basically talks about how, don't feel like a Scrooge. Just realize that maybe you're rejecting the overconsumption and you're looking for that deeper longing for what the holidays really represent. And maybe maybe you celebrate differently or you think differently about this. You don't need to hear All I Want for Christmas is You for the billionth time by Mariah freaking Carey. Oh, I could rant about that all day. But anyways, he, he writes later as well. He says, this year, whether you're an observant Christian or not, you might want to consider a new kind of feast that has some characteristics of ancient Christian observance. This would be one that doesn't encourage your worldly vices, but gives you instead an abundance of the detachment and peace you truly crave. And then he quotes something interesting, and I'm not really a Christian, but I, I, I thought this was pretty good. He, he talks about um, Gregory of Nazianzus, the 4th century archbishop of Constantinople. And in his Christmas sermon in 380 CE, he wrote in quotes here, Let us not adorn our porches, nor arrange dances, nor decorate the streets nor make uh, tabernacles of the belly of what belongs to debauchery. 
And basically, from my understanding, this is not saying like don't enjoy the holidays, be puritanical and serious and no fun at all. But it's more of an invitation of a sense to basically look at the mystical stillness of the solstice, to think about what it means. And, and I would argue that I think a lot of the pagans in Europe and around, yeah, mainly in Europe, prior to Christmas, I think kind of really understood this, like, this meditation on the seasonal change and what this time of year means. And, and I, I, I really connected with that for quite some time. I really have. And I, I, I guess there's a mysticism that has always drawn me to this time of year. It gets dark early and people are inside and want to just be warm and the lights at night and the stars and the cold. I've always just, I've always just kind of enjoyed it, even though I don't like the darkness at night. And to me, it's more mystical. And, and of course you could call me somewhat of a hypocrite as well, because tomorrow and well, and tonight as well, I'll probably eat a lot, have some drinks and, you know, not, not live a perfect meditation of life. I'm not sitting there thinking about the solstice, but on my long run today, I did. I just kind of thought about how nice it was this time of year to be around friends and family, you know. And, and I, I think that's important. I, I really do think that's important. And I think a lot of us have contra- contradictory views. Like you want to go to the Christmas parties and you want to eat and indulge and have fun. But then at the same time, maybe you don't always. So it's just something I've been thinking about. So anyways, have a great Christmas tomorrow. I don't, I don't see me doing an episode tomorrow by any means. So I'll be back in a few days. Merry Christmas. And you can find me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify. You guys know the rest. Thank you.